This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So this series is one that I've been thinking about for a long time. It's called A Church of Mercy. A Church of Mercy. What does, it's a three-parter. What does A Church of Mercy look like? How do we get there? Why does it matter? And it's, it's, it's a series I've been thinking a lot about. It's, it's, it's one I've been, been, been pulling over my head. Like, what exactly is Christ calling us to in terms of forming a church? Like, what does that organization actually look like? And, and, and how can we function out there into the world? And, and frankly, there's no better person, I think, to talk about that than somebody who's actually out there on the front lines doing it. And those are the people down at the St. Francis Inn in the Kensington section of Philadelphia, a place where we've gone and served a number of times. As some of you know, I've become sort of the honorary best busboy down there. Uh, just saying. Um, but, but it's... But it's <laughs> But it's really been a lot of fun. So Elmo Acton's going to come out and introduce our guest for the day, Father Michael. What a privilege it is to have these two here today. Hey, guys. My name is Elmo Acton. I'm a theological student at the Bernathan College across the street. I'm also here uh, in a volunteer, volunteer capacity from, um, from Reverend... Grant Schnarr's evangelization class. So I have the privilege of introducing Father Michael. Father Michael is a leader of a Franciscan community made up of brothers, sisters, lay people, and volunteers that feed 300 to 400 people each and every day in one of the poorest sections of Philadelphia, Kensington. The New Church Live team here met Father Michael through their volunteer, um, what, how they volunteered to also help the poor there in Kensington. Um, Father Michael said something really cool today uh, as we prayed. He talked about um, one of the guidelines that St. Francis Inn has, and that is to help the poor, but not to help the poor as the, uh, not to help the poor, but to become the poor. So you're helping your brothers and sisters, which I thought was really beautiful. So here he is to um, kick off our message of mercy, Father Michael. Good morning, everyone. The highlight of my Easter, yellow peeps. No, just kidding. It was a prayer service we had. It's great to be here. I'm thrilled uh, because I met so many members of this community who have come down to our soup kitchen and helped us. And then uh, Chuck invited me to come up and share a little of my world with you. And I'm really glad to do that. But first, I have to kind of explain why I'm dressed like I am. It's not that I went to a costume party last night and forgot to take it off. No, uh, I'm a Franciscan, as you know, <clears throat> perhaps within the Catholic Church there are many types of organizations and, and priests and uh, sisters, you know, you're familiar with nuns and, and so forth. But, and they usually follow a spiritual leader of times in the past. And uh, so I belong to a religious community called uh, Franciscans, and we model our spirituality after St. Francis, who 
loved the poor and he kind of reacted against his father was a rich merchant and uh, he lived the great life he was a party boy and all that and then he had a tremendous conversion when he, he turned to the Lord and he realized that material things didn't really bring happiness and what did bring happiness and joy is serving the poor he used to go down to the river and bathe the feet of the lepers and so forth. And he lived a very simple life. So with that spirituality that was 850 years ago, we have uh, many people uh, in the world today that follow that spirituality, and I'm one of them. And because St. Francis loved to uh, serve the poor, we have a soup kitchen called St. Francis Inn down in the Kensington section of Philadelphia. Now, the Philadelphia Inquirer once described our area as a sea of destruction. If you've been down there, you probably know. And then they talked about St. Francis Inn, and they said St. Francis Inn is an oasis of peace in a sea of destruction. So we like to think of ourselves as bringing God's peace to the people that are really on the edge of our society, the destitute, you know, uh, homeless people, people with mental uh, problems with prostitutes and addicts of all kind, alcohol, drugs, you name it. We have it down there in Philadelphia in the Kensington section. But when Chuck invited me to come up here, he mentioned that the theme of your congregation is mercy. So I said to myself, what does that mean to me? What does mercy mean to me? Even before I go look it up in Wikipedia or theology or the Bible, what does it mean? The first thing that came, in order to show mercy to somebody, you kind of have to have an emotion. Now, as you know, emotion is, emotions can drive us crazy. But God gave us emotions to use as tools to live and to build a kingdom. And one of the emotions that I think you need to have before you're merciful and to be called merciful is compassion. You have to understand and sympathize and empathize with the person that you want to show mercy to. But that's not enough just to feel it. Remember Matthew 25, when Jesus at the end is going to separate the goats from the sheep? And they're going to say, why are we separated? And he said, because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. And none of them knew they did it. They said, when did we do that? And he said, whenever you did it to the least of my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Now, if you'll notice, he didn't say, when I was hungry, you felt sorry for me. That's not enough. It's a beginning, but it's not enough. He didn't say, when I was naked, you were embarrassed for me. It's a beginning, but it's not enough. When I was in jail, you visited me. He didn't say, when I was in jail, you shed a tear for me. After all those emotions, that compassion comes an action. He said, when I was hungry, you fed me. You gave me something to eat. Gave is an action. So it's when I was thirsty, you gave me drink. That's a verb. You gave. When I was in prison, you visited me. Another verb. So... In order to be merciful people, you not only have to feel compassion, but you have to do something about it. Now, I just read in the Philadelphia Inquirer uh, last, two weeks ago that there was a college group that did a study on sin 
it was a, it was in a seminary. They spent months discussing this. What is the most common sin that people commit? Not the worst sin. We all know that, you know, murder, torture, and you can name a million things. What is the most common thing, the one that we're all guilty of? It took them two months of discussion and research, and you know what they came up with? Being judgmental. That's the most common sin that all of us have. And boy, oh boy, do I experience that down in St. Francis Inn, because when our guests line up to come in to be fed, we have cars that go by, roll down their window, and throw bottles at them. We have kids that come by, and they call them names. And the worst thing is in the summer when some of our guests are sleeping on the sidewalk in front of our, our, our inn there, they go by in a car, roll down the window, and they throw lit firecrackers at them so that they, they hit them and they explode right in their face because these people are judging those bums. Those low lowlifes, they deserve it. From the choices they've made and things that happened to them, they deserve it. So I have no sympathy, no compassion, no empathy for them. And that is judgmental. And that's the most common sense. So we have to fight that. So I think even, even people of good heart, even middle Americans, when they see someone in a soup kitchen, they kind of say, well... They made their bed. Let them sleep in it. You know, it's their fault. This is America. And the American dream is in the grasp of everybody. Well, I hate to tell you this, but I don't believe that. There are some people that never have a chance at the American dream. Because people don't know it, they're not compassionate, understanding, or sympathetic, and therefore they don't do anything. So what I like to do is tell people stories of why people wind up coming to St. Francis Inn. Passing by a soup kitchen and seeing a line of people in there, you're not going to know their story. You don't know why they're there. But I do because I've been there for 27 years now. So I'm just going to give you a couple examples. Nikki, she's a white woman in her late 20s. And she comes in, a lot of times her face is all scars because as a heroin addict at night when they sleep, they dig at their face. She's a young girl, been on the streets since she was 13 years old. And the reason, when she was nine years old, she was born only about three or four blocks from us. When she was nine years old, her father abandoned the family and he left. And that devastated her. When she was 12 and a half, her mother found a boyfriend and he moved in the house. The only problem was the stepfather hated Nikki and Nikki hated him. And it was an awful situation. It got so bad that the boyfriend said to the mother, I hate your daughter and I'm not going to live in the same house with her. You got to choose. It's either me or her. Guess who she chose? Him. So Nikki's mother brought her into the kitchen, sat her down, and said, Nikki, your stepfather hates you, but I can't live without him, so you're going to have to leave. So at 12, 13 years old, 12 and a half, 13 years old, she'd been walking the streets of Kensington. Yes, as a prostitute, that's 
how she makes money. Yes, as a drug addict, because that's how she forgets memories, and she's in and out of jail all the time. But when she comes to St. Francis End, she calls us her family. Now, if you can sympathize with her, go back in your life to when you were 12, 13 years old. Picture it. What house did you live in? What was your family, your siblings, your parents? What was it like? What would you ever have done if your mother or father sat you down and said, I don't love you enough to live, so you can live here anymore, so you have to leave? What would your life be like? I bet you a dollar you wouldn't be sitting here listening to me today. So I can't say to Nikki, hey, this is America. You blew the American dream. Her emotional life is shattered. You know, her own mother kicked her out of her house. Or like Dit Dit. There's, there's a guy, his name is John, but his street name is Dit Dit. He comes into the end. He looks 60 years old, but he's only in his late 20s. He has a crooked jaw. He limps. He's all bent over. At one time in his early 20s, he had a job, a lot of friends, had an apartment and a car and all that. But one tragic night in Kensington, there was a house fire. And you know, if you've ever been to Kensington, all those row houses were built in the late 1800s. They're all made out of wood. All the wood is rotted and dried. If one goes on fire, they're all on fire. They just spreads. And one night, one of the houses in Kensington caught on fire. It ripped through about four or five houses. And both Dit's mother and father were burned to death. And it affected him so emotionally that he started drinking to kill the pain, which is what a lot of people do. They turn to drugs to kill the pain. So he drank all through the viewing and all through the wake service. At the funeral, he came drunk. The next morning, he would drink. He came to work drunk every day. So at the end of the week, the boss says, hey, I can't have you do this. You know, you're fired. You're fired. At the end of the month, the landlord came and said, where's the rent? And Dit Dit said, I don't have it. I don't have a job. He says, well, you're out I'll give you two weeks to get yourself out. So in a matter of a few months, Dit Dit went from a normal 20-year-old to being on the street looking for drugs. He was desperate for drugs. And not too far from the end is the Amtrak tracks. And one night, there was a group of guys around there doing drugs. And Dit Dit goes up to him and says, hey, fellas, give me a hit. Come on, I'll do anything. Give me a hit. And they, one of the guys, just kidding, said, you'll do anything? Go over there and put your leg on the track and let the train run over it and we'll give you one free. And they all laughed like it was a big joke. Well, about 15 minutes later, they heard a blood-curdling scream. He put his leg on the track and let the train run over it. That's why he limped. Months later, he got in a fight on the street. Some guy hit him in the jaw with a tire iron. It broke his jaw in three places. So they took him to the hospital, and the, the doctors said it, but they did it with three pins. You know how you do that when a bone is broken? There were three pins sticking out of his head. So he's back on the street a couple of days later. He gets high. Those pins start to annoy him. So with his bare hand, he reached up and pulled all three of them out. And that's why his jaw is crooked. And then about three years after I got to the inn, he was at K&A, Kensington and Allegheny, and he bent over and he threw up blood. And they took him to the hospital, and the inside of his stomach was all eaten because of the drugs. 
And so he died in the hospital. Now, that's not a happy story, but I ask people, what would you do if your your cell phone rang right now and someone told you that the two people that you love most in this world just died? Is your emotional life strong enough that you could go through that? Is your faith deep enough that you could handle it? Do you have friends and relatives that could support you through that? I can't answer that question for me because that never happened to me. But it did happen to it. it. So I can't say to him, hey, we can't feed you because you blew the American dream. It happened to him. It, It wasn't his fault. It wasn't a choice he made. So you have compassion that leads to mercy. And I'll I'll tell you one more story. If you think your life is bad, listen to Anne. Anne is a little black woman in her early 30s. This is how her life started. She was, uh, uh, there was a girl in Kensington who was 12 years old who was pregnant, went into an epileptic seizure and had a baby. That baby was Anne, the woman that comes to the end. Her mother was 12 years old. And naturally, she was a child herself, so she couldn't raise her. So the grandmother raised Anne. When Anne was 11 and a half years old, she herself became pregnant. And the family had the baby aborted. When Anne was 13 years old, the grandmother died. Right after the funeral, the uncle comes into the picture. And now we're getting to the root of the problem. And he said, Anne, you can stay living in this house, but your rent will be sexual favors. Take it or leave it. So she left it. So she's another one that's been on the streets since she was 13. Drug actor, in and out of jail, prostitute. So I can't say to her, hey, Anne, this is America. You should have made it. She's only, she doesn't even know what love is. She's been used and abused physically, mentally, emotionally, sexually since she was born. You know, so she's a crushed human being. So we, as Christians, have to reach out to people like that. And there's 400 people that come into the inn every day. I could tell you 400 stories. But every one of them elicits compassion from us. And compassion leads to action. And that's what we call mercy. You know, so when you think about being a community of mercy, you first have to be understanding and loving to people. As was mentioned in the introduction, we have a guideline. We don't seek to serve the poor. We seek to become poor and serve our brothers and sisters. So it's an emptying of yourself, of your own prejudices, of your own judgments, of your own opinions of people, and realizing that we're all children of God, brothers and sisters. And that will lead to a community of mercy, which is my prayer for all of you. But it starts with compassion and love, especially for our brothers and sisters on the edge, on the margins, in on the underbelly of our society. So I just, my prayer for you all is that, you know, God will send grace into your heart and give you that compassion and that love and those useful emotions to turn into acts of charity and love.
and then you will truly be a blessed community. So my prayer is that for you. So have a happy Easter season. God bless. So as we look at that and we look at the Church of Mercy and, and, and these two pieces, right, of, of there's this piece of, of, of really, you know, the Stockdale paradox where we have to be able to look at the world as it is. That's part of it. Looking at the world as it is, and that's the prophetic piece, being able to say how things are, looking at how things are, and at the same time, holding on to hope. Holding on to the hope that, that, that we can make a difference as a church community in much the same way that Father Michael and his group of Franciscans are making a difference out there into this world. And, and we need to, I think, be prayerful about that. You know, our next song is, is go down to the river to pray. That idea of like taking a breath, going down to the river to pray, thinking about what is the call here? What does it actually mean to be a church of mercy? Where is that? Where's that stirring in my heart? So for the second part of the service, you know what I hope, I'm gonna grab this table over here. What I hope to leave you with, leaving here today, is a sense of, of yes, what the Church of Mercy can be, and as well, the smell of homemade bread. Because there's, there's a piece here where we need to come candidly to terms with, with challenges in our world. That's part of a church of mercy. And candidly to terms with what we can do, how we can hold up hope and how that hope can be realized out there into the world. Even if our way of serving is, is, is just for now within our families, and that's fine. And how can we continue to find ways to serve there and to allow that to ripple out? See, I think one of the most significant decisions that we can make comes down to this. It's not about growing a church. Like, it's nice to grow a church. I like having a lot of people. I like having you here. I'm glad I don't get to preach just to myself. It's, it's great having that. But this is what's actually more important. And I'm going to have you all say it really loud so Alan can even hear it in England. It is about being the church. There's a difference there. There's a difference there. We could do certain things that would probably grow this church faster. Sort of amp it up. And there may be parts of that that would pull us away from actually being the church. So what does that actually look like? Well, you think about what Father Michael was talking about. That is that, is that, that space and time, that incarnational bit of actually living into the church. And Christ talks about that all the time. There's this beautiful parable here. He, Christ, told them still another parable. And here's the kingdom of heaven. He's, and don't see like the kingdom of heaven as something off there, way out there. This is him talking about us, what we're to do here and now in this life that will, of course, translate into the next. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, again, I'm a history teacher, some of you know. So you read through that, and again, it just kind of, okay, like yeast. And, and, and yeast, kids, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a little bit of stuff that you mix in with flour, and then it, then it creates these gas bubbles and makes bread rise. So, so for the kids, it's the difference between this and this. Now, which would you rather eat? You know, probably this. 
probably this. Like, this is actually Holy Supper bread. No one ever snitches the Holy Supper bread. But this bread, yes, people do snitch it. That's what we're talking about here is, is this woman takes this little bit of yeast and then she mixes it in. Now, now in the new church, we believe that there's great symbolism in there about how life works. But let's kind of get a context here. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a question for you up here. I want you to answer it. You can text in the number and, and maybe somebody will win a free loaf of bread. I don't know. But here's the question. How many loaves would 60 pounds of whole wheat flour make? And yes, you can find that answer on the internet. So I want you to take 30 se- 60 seconds, see if you can answer that with somebody online audience, feel free to text that on in to me. All right, I just get a, get a chance to see, uh, see if anybody got there. Usually you folks, usually I praise you because you have all the right answers. I don't think that's true today. I think seven. That's a good guess. Good guess. <laughs> seven. That's, that's good. Well, seven, in general with religious questions, if you answer seven or 12, you're going to be right. Most of the time. Uh, let me see. Yeah, nobody, nobody has it. Nobody's even close. Wow. Somebody said infinity. That's a nice try. Depends on the size of the loaves. Smarty pants, I know that. Uh, yeah, just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stuff. Uh, oh, yeah. See, there's somebody answered over here. I'm not going to call them out, Sharon. Had the same answer as somebody over here. The question is not essentially what these people are saying. The question is not how many loaves, but how many people does it feed. That's a, give them a round of applause for that answer. That's really good. Woo. The answer is, my dear congregation, 95 loaves. 95 loaves. Now, now, now you look at that, and, and, and 95 loaves. Okay, so, so think. Question, is 95 loaves a lot of bread? Yes, that's a lot of bread. Would it take a lot of kneading of dough to make that much bread? Yes. So, so, so you got to sort of picture yourself here. Like these people knew that. They didn't go to the kids. They didn't go to the supermarket to, bra- to buy bread. They made it at home. And, and you think about this, this picture. Here's this big, huge ball. You know, don't our lives feel like that sometimes? Like, you want me to do what? That is just way too big. Way too big. And yet, what is Christ asking you to be? Just a, begins with S, ends with mall. Just to be a small part of that. Somebody got that. Just to be a small part. And, and, and you know, I, I think about it when, when you folks watch somebody needing bread. Like, just think about that experience of the kneading, the K-N-E-A-D-I-N-G. You put the water in, you put the other ingredients in, you, you work in the yeast. And, and there's a part of that that feels good, right? Like, my wife is, is gluten-free, and she, she makes bread all the time, but she doesn't actually eat it, but she just loves the kneading of that bread. Is there anybody in here who likes that? Probably have a few people who do. She likes that. And, that and, and imagine that tactile bit of Christ saying, yeah, you know what? Feel that good work. But notice as well, is the experience of kneading the dough always pleasant for the dough? <laughs> is it? Yes or no? No, it's not always pleasant. You know, you punch it, you slap it down there. You, How many of you are there today? All right. You're needing church in the other sense of, of the word there. 
you know, it's, it's like both of these experiences together. And, and I think, folks, like, that's, that's, that's so much, like, that's part of that Christian experience. I was writing in my blog, so much of, of being a church of mercy is understanding that there's, there's winning and there's suffering, and there's peace and there's suffering, however you want to phrase it. But this winning and this suffering go hand in hand all the time. All the time. It, it doesn't, and that doesn't lend well into our culture. You know, our culture that says, no, it should just be all be about the good experience. It's not going to be. I mean, those are some really hard stories. There is going to be challenge with that. And there's also going to be this ability to start to create bread, to start to be able to knead this stuff together. Now, what I'd ask you to think about with this, folks, and this is something I, I, I think it's so significant. What happens with the bread, when we start to need it, when we start to just be that little piece, and and New Church Theology says that little piece are those little things that start to purify it. Yeah, they look like something that's not doing that, but they really are something that is doing that. That actually that bread needs to rise. And when we can start to knead in those little small things that we can do, that little bit of yeast... And then we watch this miracle. The bread slowly starts, I'm going to have you say the R word here, slowly starts to rise. Isn't that beautiful? Just just think of the subtle power there, right? It's not the power of like, yeah, I got a V8, blah, 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 that does zero to 60. It's not that kind of power. It's the power of bread just gently persistently, consistently starting to rise. It's exactly what Christ was talking about. It's a beautiful parable for how a church of mercy can start to grow. Just little things, little bit by little bit by little bit, not trying to overwhelm, but, but, but where we allow that to rise. And please listen carefully. This is one I would jot a note down to or make sure that your husband's listening. It's, it's, it says that gently starts to rise. It's, it's, it's where we're, we're really able to start to see the very best in that other person. That's the key to a church of mercy. That's where we're starting. That's what it looks like. As Father Michael said, it's, it's not where I'm up here as the caregiver and here's the care recipient. It's when I get that it's an eye-to-eye thing. When I start to understand that my job is to see them as their best selves, to allow that yeast to start to work in. There's time for action. There's time for contemplation, too, with that. We do stuff, and then we have time to gather and pray. One of the things I love, I love about St. Francis Inn is after you serve the homeless there, after you serve these people who Father Michael was talking about, you go upstairs, and you pray together. This is a group from New Church Live that did just that, and it's a beautiful experience. And what I want to close with before our prayer is this. So we work at seeing people for who they really are, for seeing them as their best selves, for understanding that we are to be the leaven out there in the world, just doing a small part. We can't solve the whole thing. We can't solve Kensington. We we, we can't solve Philadelphia. We can't solve the world. Some days I can't even solve my own relationships. But we can do the little bit that we can do. And then what starts to happen is this. 
then we start to see the true leaven. We start to see what actually is shifting, what actually heals, what grace actually looks like. Begs the question, who's being merciful to whom? That's a church of mercy. I'd ask you now to please join me in prayer. I'm going to offer a prayer and then you have an opportunity to say your own prayer, the Lord's prayer as you know it, or to have a moment of quiet reflection. So please join me. Dear Lord, thank you for the presence of Father Michael and his work at the St. Francis Inn in Kensington, Philadelphia. Allow us, Lord, to hold that group prayerfully in terms of of support and love and care. And allow us, Lord, as well, to find ways to step out into the world as best we can. As best we can, Lord. Knowing that we're just leaven, we're just a small part of what at times feels so big. Allow us just to be that small part as you call us there, as you call us to that. Be with this congregation, Lord. Help us to give a little bit. Just a little bit. I mean, that that is what you ask. Help us, Lord, to avoid the judgment of others who are struggling. Help us to keep the hope, the hope out there in the world, that through you, And through our hands, used by you, we can make a difference in this world. Creating this, a church, a church of mercy, a church able to do a little bit and make the world a better place. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.